Thank you very much. And it's nice to be back here again today. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you were here the last day I was here, but uh, on my way home the last day, I felt a little bit, a little bit perturbed because there was something that I wanted to say that I didn't say. I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience. I actually had a little note written down about what I was speaking about. And if, if you're here, you may remember I was speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I was talking about the love and the joy and the peace and the kindness and the patience and the goodness and the faithfulness that uh, is our right as believers when we fully trust God and enter into the kind of life that he wants us to experience. But uh, what I wanted to say before I was finishing was that one of the things that often blocks us from experiencing that fruit, in my opinion, is holding something against anybody. And I really wanted to make that point, and it has haunted me ever since. I'm not sure if you're here today and if it means something special to you, but if it does, uh, it's between you and God. One of the things that I believe holds many, many people back is perhaps jealous of somebody else or perhaps they're, they're being angry with somebody else and haven't been able to forgive that person or whatever else. Uh, if you're here today and if that speaks to you, take it as from God because it's haunted me ever since and I hope you'll forgive me for bringing it today. Sometimes people don't understand what forgiveness is and I've discovered this, that lots of people wait to forgive somebody until they feel like it. That isn't the way forgiveness works most of the time. If you want to forgive somebody, you must make a decision to forgive. The feeling comes later sometimes. But your decision is important. You make a decision. If you have something that you need to be for, forgive somebody for, you need to make a decision. You're going to forgive that person, even if you don't feel like it. And when you make that decision, you can go with it, and then the feelings might come later on. Sometimes people wait too long to forgive, and oftentimes that becomes too late. But today we're talking about harvest, and uh, it's nice to see the church so nicely decorated. And it's traditional, of course, to come to the harvest things in the church that we can look and see God's handiwork and God's creation and God's goodness to us and thank God for it. But if we look back in the scriptures, we have much talk about harvest. I'm going to read a few verses. And it's verses that God gave Moses uh, many, many times, many, many years ago. And it's from the book of Leviticus. And I'm going to read from uh, chapter 23, from verse 9. And this here is talking about first fruits. And this whole passage is talking about uh, the various feasts of Israel. Now, many of you probably have had lectures on the feasts of Israel. A fantastic study, if you want to study it, the feasts of Israel. There were spring feasts and there were autumn feasts. Most of the spring feasts have been fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Some of the autumn feasts are still to be fulfilled. And I want to focus a little bit on one of the feasts that we can all look forward to uh, later on as time goes on. But this here is talking about the first fruits. Verse 9 says, 
And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap a harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He's to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. Interesting how so much in this whole chapter, especially, as I said, the feasts that refer or were fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus, you can actually see what happened, can't you? This here, you're to bring a sheaf so it will be accepted on your behalf. The great sacrifice that Jesus made. He became the first fruits. He was the first fruits of those who raised from the dead. That's what gives us hope. He was lifted high. Why? It says here, the sheaf was lifted on their behalf. He was lifted on our behalf. We don't have to be lifted on the cross. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old without defect, together with a grain offering of two tenths of, a, of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast, uh, roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And then before that, we have the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread. We have the Passover, of course, was one of the main things that people celebrated, the Passover, when God uh, delivered his people, the Hebrews, from Egypt, from slavery, and brought them back into the Promised Land. And the great instruction given to Moses, how they were to take that lamb, and they were to slaughter the lamb, they were to kill the lamb for, in their homes, and they were to examine the lamb to make sure it was a male of the first year. Then they were to slaughter the lamb. Uh, they were to apply the blood on the doorpost. on their houses. No death occurred in that half family. But the people who didn't have the blood applied, the firstborn of that family was dead in the morning and the firstborn of the livestock, etc., etc. That was the Passover. And people celebrated God's deliverance because it was only then Pharaoh decided to let the people return or let the people go and sacrifice in the wilderness as Moses told him he wanted to do. That's the Passover. Then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first fruits I've just read, the Feast of Weeks. An interesting uh, study, as I said, is to realize that most of these, in fact, even to the very day that these took place, they correspond exactly to the time of the Passion of Christ. When Jesus was tried, when Jesus was brought like the Lamb, he was examined, he was tried by those people. He was tried and he was accused of blasphemy. He was sentenced to death. He was put on the cross. And here we have the Feast of Weeks comes after the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of Weeks was exactly seven weeks after, in fact, 50 days after the Feast of Passover. 
at that time, something extraordinary happened. Because God brought Moses to the Mount Sinai. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Fifty days after Passover. When Jesus was crucified, which of course was at Passover, that's why so many people were in Jerusalem, people from Mesopotamia, Medes, Persians, and all the rest of them, Phrygia and Pamphylia, they were in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. It was at Passover time that Jesus was crucified. And then we move on 50 days from Passover. Now remember, we did move on 50 days from uh, 50 days from the uh, time in Egypt when the lamb was killed from the Passover then. But we move on 50 days from when um, Jesus was crucified and something very, very special happened because the disciples, 120 followers of Jesus, were in that upper room in Jerusalem, petrified, scared stiff. They were locked in with the doors bolted. And suddenly an amazing thing happened because the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, entered that room. And uh, in the form of a dove landed on each one of their heads and just amazing things happened. They began to speak in languages they didn't know before. And the fear left them and they unbolted the door and they rushed out onto the street and they began to speak to people and they could converse with all those people, all those foreigners who were there in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. They were able to speak in their... In their different languages, an amazing occurrence. That was exactly 50 days. So it's amazing how the days correspond and the times correspond. But we're living in days today of dreadful turmoil. We're living in times when it's very easy for people to get despondent and get into despair. Turn on the radio and uh, our friend has already prayed for the people who are suffering in the world, people who are suffering because of war, people who are suffering because of that dreadful occurrence in Donegal on Friday. There's so much to scare people. You hear the president of Russia, the president of America. I've never heard such talk about Armageddon before. I've never heard such talk about the greatest crisis in the world since the the, the missile crisis, the Cuban missile crisis. I've never heard talk before so much about atomic warfare, the possibility, the possibility of an accident happening, the possibility of uh, overheating of one of those big uh, nuclear power stations because of a, a lack of electricity to keep it going, etc., etc. People are afraid. Lots of people are afraid. And I want to say today, it's a time for us to look up, not to be looking down, because there's so much for us to look up to and look up at and look forward to. And that's what I want to talk about today for a little while. What can we look forward to? What kind of promises in the script does the scripture give us? Well, one thing it tells us is that there's nothing going to happen to you or to me if we're in Christ Jesus, if we're walking with him. There's nothing going to happen to us that he doesn't fully understand. Nothing. And one of the problems I believe we have nowadays, as the church has moved on from the early centuries, when at that time life meant so little to them, 
some of those early believers that were looking forward to suffering for the name of Jesus. They counted a privilege to die for the name of Jesus. They didn't care. Paul says, I, I, you know, to be with Christ, which is far better, but, I, you know, I need to be with you for a little longer. But to be with Christ is far better. And we have some of those early monks and people who lived very strange lives to us. But some of them got in little boats even at one time and they sailed out into the sea, hoping that somehow they could sooner see Jesus. Maybe the boats would capsize or maybe they'd drown. It's amazing. People did all kinds of things because they knew there was something far greater ahead. We have promises from God. If you are walking with God, if you know God, one thing you can be assured of, he understands every little thing that happens to you. There's nothing going to happen to you he doesn't understand. That does not mean that everything is going to go the way you want it to. It doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. You know, there are some people today, and one of the greatest contradictions I think about harvest is, and I've had to live with it for many, many years, because being brought up in the Church of Ireland, being a Church of Ireland minister, the readings are set out for each Sunday, and many of the readings that are set out for harvest are readings which seem to indicate that if you honour the Lord with your substance, he will in return honour you always. Now, that was an Old Testament concept. And we have people today that believe in a kind of a prosperity gospel, that if you want to sow seeds and put your money in the right place, that that will return to you tenfold or twentyfold or whatever else, as long as we put it in the right place and in the right hands. I don't see that in Scripture at all. I see in Scripture that Jesus tells us, unless we are prepared to get up and to fight, unless we are prepared to be counted nothing, we can't be used in his, in his name, really. We have to be willing to suffer. We have to be willing to take up our cross. And a cross is something that's not an easy thing to bear if we want to follow Jesus. He doesn't tell us our lives will be lives of luxury. He doesn't tell us we're going to have a great time and that if we give this or give that or give the other thing, that God is going to multiply that tenfold for us. He doesn't tell us that. It's lovely to bring our stuff today and to thank God for the wonders of creation. But if I went to some of the African countries or some of the places where there's starvation today, and if I started to praise God for all the bountiful things he's given to us, I wonder how those people feel. But what they can look forward to is they can look forward to the promises that God has given to us in his word. And they can look forward to the amazing future that lies ahead of all those who are truly believers in Jesus Christ. Another promise he's given to us is that promise of the first fruits. Jesus Christ has become the first fruits of those who slept, Paul says in Corinthians. When Jesus arose from the dead, he was the first fruits of those who slept. Now, the first fruits were, bringing, were brought to the priest. The first fruits were brought to the priest before the main harvest was started. And the main harvest, I suppose, was the barley harvest. Then it was before the wheat harvest. And we read about the barley harvest in the book of Ruth. And uh, the, the, you had the, 
the first fruits were brought, then the main harvest was harvested, and then you had the gleaners coming after the harvesters, and they were picking up the bits that were left, and the, the bits in the headlands, as we call it. <coughs> Excuse me. But as we move on in the scriptures, we have great promises about a future, about a harvest that's going to take place. The first fruits here, Jesus has become the first fruits of those who slept. And in being the first fruits of those who sleep, he gives us that assurance that there is more than first fruits. First fruits came looking forward to the main harvest. In the Old Testament, the Jews are referred to as the first fruits. Israel is referred to as the first fruits of God. And I suppose we could say there's an indication there there's a lot more to come. And maybe that includes us because we were the outsiders. God's harvest is big, it's great. How do we know it's going to happen? Another, another feast that, this, that will be celebrated, one of the autumn feasts, is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, one of the things that happens and has happened down through the history of Israel when something important happened, they often blow a trumpet. Now, the shofar is the ram's horn, and uh, the priest sounded the, the, the horn whenever he was calling people to worship. Sometimes he wanted people to call people to the temple, and he blew the horn, and they came to the temple. They came to meet with God. Folk, you're going to experience, and I'm going to experience, the most wonderful sound of a horn. That lovely hymn recalls it, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Wonderful. How do we know? We're promised. Again, we need to read the promises. Take the ones that are meaning to be taken for us today. John 14. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself. That where I am, there you may be also. A wonderful promise. There are promises right through the scripture. There's no need to go through any more. If it's in one place, it's enough because it's a scripture, the holy word of God. And then people often say, what's it going to be like? Well, we know a certain amount because as scripture decide, or, or, or describes in James, we now only see through a glass dimly. We have a vague vision of what might happen. We have a vague vision of what the future might be. We have a vague vision of what, what heaven might be. But it's all supernatural. And it's supernatural because it's above our natural understanding. If somebody describes heaven to you and says, this is exactly what heaven is going to be like, they haven't a clue what it's like. Because nobody knows exactly. It's above our thinking. It's above us. It's going to be far more wonderful. No eye has seen, it says. No ear has heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has laid up for those who love him. But when that trumpet sounds, when that trumpet sounds, 
we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. We're going to see him. We're going to be like him. We're going to see him, it says in 1 John, because we'll see him as he really is. We're going to be like him because he's going to change our vile bodies, it says, and fashion them like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. What a prospect. What a prospect. There's a contrast here. There's a contrast in allowing ourselves, allowing ourselves to be being tied down on a level, worried, traumatized by the cares of this world. And on the other side, being lifted by the promises that Jesus has given to us and his word gives to us. His word gives us promises that can give us assurance, can give us a joy, even in the most horrible of situations. The early apostles, when they were in prison in stocks and chains, could sing praises to God. I want to encourage you, and that's what I wanted to do this morning as we come. Because we are among those fruits of God, if we are living lives that are controlled and guided by the Spirit, it's our birthright to live a life that's above the cares. Of course we're not to be careless. Of course we have to be careful. But it means something by, like being carefree even in the most difficult situations that we can cling to the promises of God. May God help each one of us as we trust him. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a little prayer. Our Father, we thank you today for your love and we thank you for the promise that you give us in your word. We thank you for that hope that will surely endure after the passing of time because we have a future in heaven for sure there in those mansions sublime. And it's because of the wonderful day when as sinners we came, <clears throat> took of the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved us. Oh, praise his dear name. Help us, we pray, to rise our horizons, to walk on a level with God that we don't get sunk down in the mire of what happens in this world that we don't get wrapped up in the things that trouble many people, but that rise or lift us to the promises and the hope that he has given to us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Help us always to trust in that, we pray. And as has already been prayed, we commit those who are suffering to God. We pray for those who are missionaries today, for those who are going around the world trying to bring your word by deed or by the preaching the word to people, your love. We pray for their safety in many cases where there's danger. We pray for joy into their hearts as they fulfill the calling of God in their lives. And we pray for a rich harvest as people come to faith and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. We pray for our leaders today. We pray for our country. We pray for world leaders, for those in positions of great authority, 
who make decisions which affect each one of us. Dear God, somehow at this time bring wisdom. Bring wisdom into the hearts and minds of those who make these decisions. Now we commit our lives into your care. And we want to pray earnestly that God would help us. And perhaps we could join together in that prayer that Jesus taught us. And as I mentioned in the earlier part of the service, we're asking God to forgive us our sins. But we're asking him to forgive us to the extent that we forgive others. It's a great prayer. Let's join together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.